I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. It's coming out! Roby, Roby, weekly. Little reverse pass, and Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. This podcast is brought to you in association with William Hill. Please remember to gamble responsibly and visit dunlouis.net on how to do so. My own name is Gavin Casey and I'm joined as always by my colleague with the 42, Murray Kinsler. Murray, how are you? How's your week been? Yeah, pretty good, Gav. It's been a very interesting week. Uh, We knew that it was kind of a tipping point, I suppose, for Ireland with that that France game. Um, And it's been really interesting to look over it a couple of times and realised that it wasn't a very good performance and, and Ireland were probably lucky to be in there. So, interested to get stuck into it today with Birch. Yeah, Bernard Jackman, you've been a busy man, no doubt. How's your week been going? Yeah, it's good. It's a week. I'm dad and mother rugby journalist and having to spend every day looking at it. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to chatting and seeing if we can put put some sense into it, to be honest. Yeah, ordinarily we'd be looking ahead to a game at the weekend, an international fixture that is. And in doing so, we'd sort of look back on the fixture just gone but given it is a, a barren week this weekend in the six nations we'll probably focus largely on ireland france and really delve into that performance to which murray alludes we've got loads of questions from the 42 members in the members whatsapp group members.the42.ie if you want to join the good folks in there and also get loads of extra podcasts post-match immediate reaction podcasts and also monday's rugby weekly extra pods with murray and own Tulin. uh but let's kick off i think we can break this down into two fairly simple categories gents because we need to put some kind of parameter on the conversation given how much is going wrong and how much there is to discuss attack and defense bernard jackman uh when your attack and your defense aren't exactly firing in all cylinders you're in a spot of bother i think uh, there isn't a great deal to the game outside of those two areas so yeah, I, take yeah, us first, take us uh someone pulled me someone pulled me up on on saying um that uh, on criticizing the attack and defense um, but there actually is a third part to rugby, which is a set piece, which actually is going really well for us. So um, it's not all doom and gloom. But obviously, um, you know, a significant portion of the game is uh, doesn't look like it's it's improving drastically for for Ireland, and that's um, that's disappointing to be honest. And um, that's the challenge for the coaches is to is to get, I suppose, an identity in our defence and a, an identity in our attack. And and I think you know we've all waited. Um, particularly attack-wise, because, you know, we were promised this evolution and this new style of play, et cetera, et cetera, which was based around, you know, the players playing heads-up rugby and, you know, playing the game on our feet and offloading and, and playing with more wit, et cetera. And the reality is we seem to be getting further away from that rather than heading towards it. So that's obviously an area of concern. And then defensively, <clears throat> I think, you know, I, I've worried, I've reason to worry about our defence. I, I think... Um, there's we fix one problem and then another problem um, seems to uh, evolve and like I just don't think it's joined up thinking so and I, and this is probably something that people need to understand is that you you need all your coaches on on the same page right so obviously now we've gone after um, we we've prioritised having a really good um, uh, ambitious defensive line out so we're going to go after um, their ball in the air. So, you know, you would expect then that there'll be a lot of homework done around the opposition's best strike plays um, in, a, in a test week and having a plan to counteract that. So, uh, and I'll use the example that they scored a try-off, but they used it, you know, where, England, where France put Doolan at the front and Jalibert as the 
as a traditional scrum half. And it's a play they played against Italy and got good gain line on us. And they, and they run it pretty well. But effectively, with that line-out, with DuPont at the very front, it, it's the ball is useless for them if it's off the front, right? So they need to win a middle or back, okay? So they had a, they had a seven-man line-out, if you include DuPont. We defended it with five, okay? Which is fine. That's the decision you make. So we put two back rows out in the middle of the field uh, where they only had one... Um, one back row. So if you make that decision, basically, then you say, okay, well, you know, we're going to man up uh, opposite the, the big ball carriers. Because we have an extra uh, player in the back line, we're going to jump the gun a little bit and get over, get to that gain line before they do. Um, and every team pushes that to the absolute limit. Uh, and it's one of the bugbears of, of, of fans. Why aren't referees picking up offsides? Well, you know, whatever offsides they pick up at the breakdown or don't pick up at the breakdown, they pick up very few if you jump the gun a split second earlier to get over that gain line before the contact's made. So anyway, we we basically didn't block off the middle or back. Um, so they got good ball off the off the middle, and then we were really late to get to get to the gain line. And because my question mark is, you know, they ran it three times. Um, you know, why why couldn't we have seen this before the game and keep up with a strategy and just to, to make it as simple as possible? If Jolly Bear is your scrum half. Okay, um, why is he there? He's there for his distribution, right? He's there because he's going to try and get the ball to the midfield. So you've got two passers, DuPont and Jolly Bear. So where's the biggest threat? The threat is in the middle, right? The threat's in the middle because they want to get to the middle. Um, whereas if they put a forward at scrum half, you generally didn't have to defend that 10 channel. So what we did was we put um, Herring as a tail gunner, and then we put, I think, CJ, Josh Van der Flyer, Billy Burns, Robbie Henshaw, and ring rows. And where did they try and get to? Billy Burns, right? Whereas we could have easily flipped Billy Burns around and put him as the first four, as the first defender in the back line, put Josh Van der Flee or CJ Stand or Robbie Henshaw together, and it's a different picture for them. But again, look, you can get caught once, you can get caught twice. We got caught three times with the, with the same play, and there was no real, there was no change, no message coming down from the coaching staff to change that. Billy Burns actually ends up getting the HIA uh, on the second one, uh, which actually make, means he has to leave the field. And I don't blame Billy Burns. I mean, it's a difficult tackle for, for him against someone like Fiku or or Olivion or, or whoever. But uh, again, I just think we can we can be a little bit smarter in terms of spotting that coming. And if, if France or Italy or England pull out something new, obviously then, you know, that's that's fair play to them. But this is something that they play they played before and we just didn't seem to have a plan uh, and likewise, uh, and this is going back to our attack, a lot of people are saying, oh, you know, we're like a GA team just putting up so many kicks, whatever, right? Um, but if you put up contestables, it does actually help your defence because you're less likely to get hurt on a, on a contestable than you are on kicking long because they have more time to, to spot the weakness in your kick chase and go after you. So it's a safer type of kick. So at the moment, you know, we're dominating possession because our set piece is really good. We're not giving teams soft penalties we're not giving them easy angles at scrum time we're we're pretty good in our own ball line out wise we're, we're getting after their defensive line out so we've more possession than we should have uh, we're kicking contestables and yes you know our defense i would say we've conceded four four soft soft tries or four tries that we could have stopped plus to be honest i think france france didn't go for the juggler i, I, I think that once we got that lucky try from kelleher they they became um more safe they had a safer mindset and, and actually stop chasing the game whereas I think if DuPont hits Willemse 
uh, in the 41st minute, they go and score a bonus point because I think they had an extra gear. They could have ripped us apart. But sorry, the last thing I would say is if you go into a game plan and you're going to kick contestables, obviously you don't expect them to be able to find space in the backfield off a contestable, but you have to have a covered as well. And like we didn't have the backfield covered. So no point doing one thing without understanding if you don't get the ball back, what you have to do, um, which gave them obviously easy meters, etc. So there's just lots of little small things that aren't joined up. And I showed three clips on against the head of us not bookending our defense. Um, and it's, I actually was embarrassed showing it because it's such an obvious thing. And I was, and I don't blame Simon. I'm sure, I'm sure he doesn't mean it to happen like that. And I look back at the Wales game where Johnny Sexton makes the first tackle and he sprints back to bookend the line out, but a uh, bookend uh, the front line. But the problem is, you know, for some reason in the game against France, um, we didn't bookend uh, the our defensive line, and also against Wales, you know, for the George North try where we had Henderson and Lowe together. That's not ideal. I mean, Henderson's a quick second row, but he's he's a second row. And up against someone like George North, he's going to get um, exposed. So there's things that we just need to be much tighter on um, that we, we aren't. And I don't know if we're actually getting good messages on or adapting on the run as well. And a lot of test games are won by true coaching, true spotting something that, that they've, you've said is going to work, stopping it quickly if it's not working, you know, being able to rectify things. And and, and, and there's probably a guy I think is, you know, is maybe missed a bit. It's a guy called Mervyn Murphy, right? And not many people might know who he is, but Mervyn Murphy was the video analyst since Ruby went pro in Ireland. Gatlin, I played with him in Connacht and, and uh, people could say I'm biased, but uh, I played with him in Connacht and he, he had this wealth of experience of international rugby, having been Irish analyst for, for five World Cups. Um, he He's back in Connacht now, but he was somebody, people talk about Enfield back in 2009 and, and uh, the the Rob Kearney, Marcus Horn, you know, argument. Um, and that was what changed Irish rugby that year. And that's how we got successful because Leinster, Munster, our bond and stuff. That was a tiny part of it. What actually was more interesting that afternoon was the senior player groups, uh, everybody split. It was a really wet day. We we're supposed to do fitness testing. We actually went into little parts of the hotel in groups and actually talked about how we could evolve our game. And Merv was a key part of that because he, you know, he 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 had already cut up footage of what what France do, what England do, blah blah blah, and we basically agreed upon a game plan for that Six Nations. And I think having an analyst, an, an analyst who actually understands Test rugby, who maybe can help the coaches spot things or rectify things. Um, and look, maybe it's happened. I'm just saying. There's another example of someone who had a very high rugby intelligence. Joe Schmidt obviously had a phenomenal rugby intelligence and was was able to cover up the cracks in, in, in other coaches, maybe um, uh, intelligence. But at the moment, we've, we don't seem to be playing smart. And everybody talks about culture now. Culture is really important. But And a team are really together. They're obviously playing for each other, playing for Andy Farrell, playing for the, for the jersey. And that's, that's absolutely brilliant. And long may continue. But strategy is also really important. Unless you're way more talented than everybody else, um, culture Everybody has decent culture now, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and it has to be prioritised, absolutely. But strategy is the next level to become, to really achieve your potential. You need to have culture and strategy together. Murray, will we leave it there? That's wrap. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's superb. I'm glad that we've we've let you off the leash early doors. This Text week, me if you so. want me to shut up. <laughs> 
so many interesting points and so much to unpack from that Murray uh, and I'm not quite sure where to begin but it is an interesting point about say some of the uh, missing intelligence which sounds harsh but we've spoken on this podcast and you've spoken to Owen Tulin as well about a lot of the lack of detail really in what Ireland are doing on both sides of the ball it seems as though that's been improved upon significantly at the set piece to which Bernard alludes at the top of the show um, we know that Fogarty is doing a good job at the scrum and kind of has been consistently for a while it seems as though Paul O'Connell's influence is pretty marked now on this team in terms of breakdown mall and so on uh, it's more so the fundamentals of attacking and defending in in open play and even some of the detail off uh, starter plays off off those set piece that seems to be lacking we seem to be creating space in attack for example as in initially in that very kind of preeminent phase of creation where we're okay it's what we do from that point onwards that we seem to be struggling with and we can get into defense as well uh, in a moment yeah there's a whole variety of issues there um as you say there are some real bright points and some individual players playing particularly well as well we should say someone like Ian Henderson for example has come back and been really destructive I think he's the most turnovers in the championship with five um but there is a muddiness with Ireland at the moment they're getting an incredibly quick breakdown ball actually quickest in the championship over the last couple of weeks but it hasn't converted into attacking efficiency they're creating space on the edge absolutely right and there are a number of examples from the France game where decision making lets them down there seems to be um a lack of confidence a lack of conviction in ireland's decisions um when they make that space on the edge and and they're looking downfield obviously the kick strategy has been a big part of it 41 kicks the last day and as bernard explains there's sense behind some of that but some of it for me wasn't sensible i think at the first scrum of the game right hand side attacking platform i was excited to see what they were going to throw at them and it's a three three-phase play to, to box kick from the middle of the pitch over uh, Villiers and Andrew Porter is the one closest to him when he catches it which is just really odd I thought that kind of detail was lacking there's another four four-man line out play and around the corner they bring Healy and Henderson and Herring I mean if you're picking the most likely person to carry there it's probably not Herring he's probably bottom of that trio but he's the one that carries in that instance and that's off a, of a planned phase play there was never really a moment where you thought, wow, that's really clever what, what Ireland have done there with their attacking um, planned attack. Stuff that, yeah, you can pick out details in the opposition and go after it. And that was a hallmark, obviously. But then the fact that they've been focusing a lot of their time on the phase play, on making good decisions um, and trying to be a more effective team in that area, and it's not really translated over. So that is concerning for them. Um, and especially when you have a good platform, there's no excuse really for your attack not to be firing a little bit more. France's defence obviously is world-class under Sean Edwards, but it is concerning for Ireland that those areas seem to be probably going slightly backwards and that when you've kind of made poor decisions, it almost makes the situation more stressful for players again when they're looking at those pictures of not taking good decisions or not taking advantage of space. Um, then it all becomes a little bit much. So there's a job there for the coaches in terms of having their players be clear-headed and really decisive when they make opportunities. Um, because, yeah, I, I agree that I think the scoreline didn't really paint an accurate picture of that game. The obviously very fortunate bounce. I mean, Andy Farrell has had lots of bad luck. Let's, let's be honest with that. Obviously, the red card is something you can't plan for and obviously completely changes that game. 
a huge amount of injury disruption before the second game with key guys, his leadership group decimated. And that is a big factor. Like you can't discount that. But also at the same time, you've got a very lucky bounce there for your only try of the game. And that puts a really different complexion on the scoreline and makes a contest of it right at the end. And France blowing that opportunity where it comes off Phillips's head when it, when it should have been 17-3 realistically. They missed one before halftime as well. So you would hope that Ireland are very realistic about it as well. And it just, it makes this Italy game so massive. They're they're fighting it out in the bottom half of the championship now and they're still 20-point favourites. Listen, they should have way too much quality for Italy, but Italy have shown little sparks in the last couple of games and they'll probably feel they're getting Ireland at a, maybe a vulnerable time. So I'm really fascinated to see how they respond to this with two weeks to figure these things out, to simplify it and to clarify things in people's minds. So this is a massive game. You don't normally say it about traveling to Rome and playing Italy. It's normally kind of taken for granted, but there are question marks there with Ireland. No, there certainly are. And we will look ahead to Italy for sure uh, later in the show and, and kind of as we go on, really. But just to focus on that France game again... Like one of the most striking thing, striking aspects of the game, Bernard, was uh, some of the discussion afterwards about maybe elements of progress in Ireland's game. Some of which we've alluded to, like the set piece. Um, I thought there were like green shoots is such an overused term now, and I think we're kind of plucking it out of thin air sometimes just to make ourselves feel a little bit better as it pertains to Ireland. But uh, in the Wales game, we saw evidence probably of of elements of progress. Own Toolan did a, a nice job of breaking that down on the members' pod two weeks ago. But like, if you look at this France game as a kind of an overall package and look at it quite crudely, in fairness, like you mentioned the lucky bounce and Andy Farrell was absolutely due that element of luck uh, that led to Ronan Keller's try. But outside of that, we created really one opportunity, like one clear-cut, op- clear-cut opportunity to score a try in that game. And it was during a period in which France were reduced by a man. And other than that, like we didn't come close to scoring a try. And Murray mentions that the coaches, Mike Cat, Farrell, etc., have a job on their hands now. Like, they've had this job on their hands for a year. And far be it for me to call for heads or anything of the sort, right? But there is uh, an element here of having to show some signs of progress. And when you look at it in the cold light of day, 12 months on from them taking that job originally, we're no closer to beating any of these teams than we have been over the last two and a half years. Yeah, I think um, I think probably frustrating for me would be that we don't we don't really have a, a clear identity around what's our attacking style. I know we're trying to play a you know a, a form of a, a one three a one three two two um, one or and it varies a little bit. And we and look at when you play any kind of a system like that, which we weren't playing under Joe. We you know we didn't really always hold with. So um, it's when you do play a system like that with a. Um, a structure to where you put your forwards, you're always going to have opportunities to go to wit. It's just the nature of the game because the defence, particularly Sean Ebers' defence, they don't care that you have three guys in the 15-meter channel if they can stop the ball from, from, from getting there. So there's always this perception of we have, well, we created opportunities. We created 3v1s or, or, or 4v1s um, because that's the nature of it. But you have to actually execute it. Um, not all the time, you know, but... You have to get that ball into the outside channels to be able to create the go forward on the edge um, to get the defence to go back to be able to maybe get them in the middle or, or, or the far side. And unfortunately for us, it's very rare we get those opportunities um, or execute those opportunities. So from an attacking point of view, I would still say... And then obviously the last two games against Wales when we had 15 and against France, you know, when, we were, when they hadn't really got kicked into gear, 
um, our game, our, our attack game was was very kicking based. Okay, so that's fine. You know, I don't have an issue with that at all. Um, if that's the way we're going to play and become really good at it, but um, we're not really. We got some balls back in first. I thought Gibson Park kicked quite well, but then we don't know what we're doing on transition when we get the ball back. We don't have an identity around how we attack off of transition ball, which is a huge source of um, of possession and, and good possession. So, you know, there's not an identity off that. I picked out some clips from Wales when we had 15 where it wasn't really clear, clear what our strategy is on counter-attack. So, again, that's another... That counter-attack is when they kick long to you. That's another, you know, great source of possession that if you ask me to nail down what we're trying to do, I, I, I'm not really sure. And that's... Look, maybe the coaches are, are going to change every game, whatever, and and uh, you know that that's their that's their that's their style, and that's fine if, if they can make it work. But the biggest problem is, so for me, is that lack of identity in attack, and then defensively, um, you know, uh, I heard Owen Redden say on on Virgin, oh, you know, our defensive system is very similar to South Africa and France. Uh, it's not. Look, if you have a hundred defensive systems, they're all some way similar because there's core things that you have to defend around a rook. Everybody wants to get some element of line speed, but I, I wouldn't say our defensive system is the same as as France or or South Africa, who are a really committed to the blitz defense team. Jack Nienabar, um their wingers are unbelievably clued in to defending high, um, and so is Sean Edwards' style defense. So I wouldn't say we are the same as as France or or or, or South Africa, and that's fine, whatever. But we still need to know what our defensive system is and and because over the last two weeks you know Gibson Park bit in um James Lowe bit in you know on our own line for tries or on our own 22 for tries most teams will do that anyway that's that's how you defend in your 22 with a 14-1 or whatever so that doesn't mean we're a blitz defense it's it's like what Sean Edwards and what Jack Nienabar do is they do that higher up the field and, and way more effective so um again and, and I'm not saying we have to copy them at all I'm just saying what is our system? Uh, you know, what's our identity defensively? Because the players are putting huge effort in, um, but there's certain things that would worry you. How we got busted for that that pass in the 41st minute, where you know, um, where Marshan goes through, that's a pretty basic, you know, two phase play. Um, and okay, they got the gain line the first phase, but and they got quick ball, but just you know, you know who's going to fold there. It's always going to be Herring and 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 um, Josh Fleer. But it looks like they're not sure who has nine, who has the first ball runner. Like it's just small things like that that is just at the moment. And look, I'm sure Simon is telling them what to do, but we're not seeing it being um, being locked in. And you know, a team like France don't need to have as much possession as us because they have that extra gear. So when they go to that extra gear, you need to be able to stop them. And unfortunately, I don't. I know we only can see the two tries, but I think I think we got France on a bad day. I thought Dupont actually was human. Uh, I thought he made some mistakes, uh, and you know, looking at him over the last two years, you know, if he had been on on his game, I thought we would have conceded more. Just on the coaching staff, Gav, and what you're kind of getting at there, there's there's definitely pressure on now. I, I don't think Andy Farrell's job is under threat. He's got a contract to the 2023 World Cup. David Nusafor felt that this is the guy to guide what was. Probably always going to be a, a tricky period for Irish rugby. 2019 was obviously disastrous. A number of senior guys, I suppose, beyond the peak of their careers. And he felt that Farrell was in a good position to do that. Mike Cat came in on the same length of contract, a big contract he got early on. 
obviously someone's vouching for his quality in that role but again there's pressure on him now to show real progress and and this can go one of either ways they can go to Italy and have a disastrous performance and that'll put them under real heat because then you're looking at a championship where you've you've got absolutely nothing out of it. you haven't even got the prize money that they are if you are so reliant on or they can bounce back they can fix this stuff and they can show fans and everyone else and the players themselves that they've got the coaching IQ and acumen to to fix these issues as the, as they arise it's a massive moment for it i suppose the other side of this the tactics and all that is massively important is around player succession and planning and how the squad is regenerating itself or otherwise or being improved and again that's kind of unclear i mean the out half one is obviously is, is obviously been much discussed but all around the squad it's it's unclear exactly what what direction it's moving in he's capped a lot of guys and and farrell deserves credit for that and probably hasn't got it there's i think 11 new caps and guys like Kalen Doris, who's another one who's missing we haven't mentioned he's already a key player when available there's been a bit of a, a shift there but again there's still a lack of clarity in, in where that's going and it feels like again under pressure now it goes back to the the senior players that have been there for for years and and now for years haven't really been at that top level and haven't been getting the results with Ireland so there's a whole lot of factors here that can probably go either way and, and definitely pressure is on the coaching staff this is part and parcel of it Andy Farrell knows that better than anyone he's never been a head coach before but he's been around the game and he understands that this is what happens when the results don't happen there are mitigating factors there as we mentioned but that's the bottom line um, and while I don't think David Newsford is going to make a, a rash decision in that sense um, there is pressure on them to, to kind of turn things around and, and make it look a bit more positive. As well as on David Nusifora, we talked about this the week before, he's the, he's the big boss. He's the one in charge of making sure that the progress and performance, as his job titles goes, of the Irish teams at national level is strong, is good, that all the work that he's doing under underneath that is, is producing positive results. And, and as we say, that's up in the air at the moment. So there's a whole lot of pressure there and... and as I say, things will only get worse if it's not better, considerably better in Italy and then after that. Yeah, just on that, I'm not saying we should sack the coaches at all. I, I'm just calling it as as, a, as I see it when you, when you watch the games. Uh, and there is pressure for sure, but there's pressure on Wayne Pivak, who, who's won his first two because his contract's up in, in June and Wales aren't you know apparently sure if he's the man to lead him to a World Cup. Just on Murray's thing, you know, I think the job of the high, head of performance, high performance is is to make sure that it's not a given that there will be a difficult transition post a World Cup or post a, a head coach like like Schmidt. Um, his job is to actually make sure that that dip is is as low as possible, even if you know you have five or six senior players. Like the reality is, we only lost Rory Best uh, in terms of the senior player group. The rest are still there, okay, and, and maybe they're they're a year older and they're starting to pick up injuries and things like that. But the reality is, if you hire someone like David Nusifora, um and let's be honest, he got the job because of his rugby experience rather than being a politician or being a, um, you know, someone who was going to bring the country together. That's not what he's gone to, gone to try and do. So his job is to find and, and vet and go through a good process to get the best coaches in to, to lead the next four years. Okay, that's his job. I mean, uh, like... It's not an art. The committee have given him a huge amount of responsibility, and now his job is for is he's in Australia at the moment. Apparently, is to manage it and see how they're gonna, what they're gonna do over this this course is 
Six Nations um, to get the best possible results. But also you should be looking at, you know, long-term player development, succession planning. Um, because we have found, and I feel sorry for Farrell in, in the, it's not his fault, um, you know, that we don't have a, a clar- clarity around, you know, who the next best nine is, who the next best 10 is, etc. That's not really his fault. In fairness to him, he has given people uh, game time. So th- that's not his fault. But realistically, we did appoint somebody, uh, whatever, six years ago, um, whose job it is to make sure we're aligned, you know, we're smart strategically, um, and we don't have massive dips. You look at our few strategic plan, you know, it doesn't say, oh, look at, um, you know, we can finish fourth uh, in two or three years. Like, it's not about that. It's about being quite successful um, on a consistent basis. And, yeah, that's that's the challenge. And look, at sport is, is it's not an exact science and, and things go wrong. You get red cards, you get injuries, etc. Um, but let's be honest, Scott and seem to have got their act together. You know, England aren't playing that well, but they're very strong. France are, are, are getting better. Like, it's not a given we're going to finish. I thought we finished third um, before the championship. I just thought we were a little bit behind England and France. And it's not, now I'm worried, we, you know, we'll finish fourth or fifth. Um, and that's, uh, and look, at you could say, oh, we've lost two games very narrowly, and we have. Um, but it's the content of those games that we have to, have to be objective about and go, yeah, there's things in there we're, we're just seeing that we need to fix or else or else you start to lose games by more than two points and three points. Yeah. And just on that, Gav, like the strategic plan and objectives, which News 4 obviously was a massive part of, they're set out on paper and Ireland have to win two of the next three championships. They're obviously not going to win this one. So their objectives state that they've got to win 2022 and 2023 or they failed in that one. They said they were targeting a semi-final or better in 2019 and 23, so they failed the first part of that. And at the moment, I'm not sure how everyone else's confidence is, but going towards 2023, you're not thinking that that's looking likely either, as well as being consistently in the top three in the world, which obviously with, with negative results is, is not going to be part of it, and they're not in that top three. And, and I don't think anyone would argue that they are one of the top three sides in the world. So... At that level, yeah, they're at the moment not meeting their objectives and not looking like they're going to. So absolutely, David Nussifor is, is answerable in all these aspects as well. Um, unfortunately, I suppose he's the, he's the one with, at the very top of the tree with the RFU. So that's an interesting side of it as well. Um, and so it's not just on Andy Farrell, absolutely not. The succession planning in particular, as Birch says, is a, is a massive part of that. And, and yeah, we've got loads of questions really um, around Irish rugby. <laughs> If you look at those objectives and the unlikelihood that a lot of them will be met, like what's striking to me as well is the fact that it's been five international windows now where we've been pretty poor. Like it's we're not just talking about Andy Farrell's reign; we're talking about the two uh, tournaments, if you like, before that under Schmidt, and that sort of level of form has continued and in certain areas has deteriorated really under Farrell. It's I think subconsciously on some level, even though we dismiss it out loud always as the yardstick. People do have 2018 in their minds as like the the standard that this team has set for itself because the personnel hasn't changed drastically. But the reality is 2018 was two and a half years ago. The 28 Six Nations was literally three years ago. Like it's it's more than it's more than three quarters of a World Cup cycle, or exactly three quarters at the moment. And a lot of those players are still playing, and they're not playing anywhere near to the level that they were playing then. And there's really no evidence to suggest anymore that they will in in the cases of a lot of those key figures. So. I wonder if we need to actually even be more realistic as like consumers of the sport, fans, journalists, pundits, whatever, in that like 
perhaps our bar actually for this squad for this setup is too high and maybe those objectives that they said as well were too high because it has been two and a half three years in which there's been really no suggestion on the pitch that we're going to reclaim those heights that we scaled in 2018 I didn't put yeah. that to anyone in particular. I've just realised yeah, I just no, went no. off on one. <laughs> Sorry. Did a bird show. Joe Schmidt ruined Irish rugby because he, he changed our expectations. I mean, before before Joe Schmidt, it wasn't... We didn't have that expectation level. And it wasn't always the case that they were winning Grand Slams, obviously. He did start really well with the, the couple of championships. And there were big performances throughout it, whether it was beating the All Blacks for the first time in 2016 um, or doing it again in, in 2018 again, obviously. And you're right, yeah, the... I suppose the players that aren't have been dependent on aren't at the level they they were back then, and there does seem to be within Ireland uh, a belief that that will be the case that they are guys that they can bank on. And again, even in the contracting at the moment, it looks like most of them will be extended, even on their central deals, and and that they'll still be in a similar position in a year's time. And and that's a a massive question. Like I know a lot of people want them to write off this championship and and go and look for the team of the future and the athletes of the future and Irish rugby like let's be positive about it does have some outstanding young players Caelan Doris Kelleher in the front row once he gets that line out throwing nailed down is an unbelievably good athlete that you've seen off the bench last couple of weeks Tyke Furlong's only 28 Andrew Porter's 25 and already he looks like a, a world class side head even in the last couple of games Henderson and Ryan are a young second row um relatively young with, with plenty of experience already Ryan Baird's a freakish athlete coming through Gavin Coombs obviously impressing and, and we've mentioned Caelan Doris hopefully Dan Levy's knee gets sorted that's just in the forwards and and some guys even beneath that showing real talent uh, and probably not getting the opportunity in, in the in the provinces so it is about a a decision on on how you, you approach this do you keep muddling along and, and looking for results in the Six Nations by banking with that experience um, and it, albeit some form, obviously, in some of the guys, like Conor Murray had been good coming into the Six Nations. I think we spoke about that. Robbie Henshaw, all those kind of guys playing well. Um, or do you do you make a pointed shift towards the future and have more of a sense of a project? France being the best example, we spoke about it. They made a big, I suppose, turning of the page at the start of the Galtier area. This is new. This is fresh. Here's some new players, new faces, new captain. And this is what we're going to work towards 2023. That doesn't mean they're not trying to be successful right now. And I'd say there's pressure on them to be successful right now. They're a big, wealthy union and, and they have to be. But it doesn't feel like Irish rugby really has that identity. It's the best word. And it's across all areas of the game and actually their game on the pitch as well. And I think everyone could do with having a bit more of a sense of, of what Irish rugby is about right now. Just, just on that, I think we should have high expectations for ourselves. And, and I said, you know, I think we should be the best of the rest of the Northern Hemisphere, just behind England, France, with the ability to beat them. You know, on a on a given on a given day, if we really execute our, our plan. But like the reality is, if you were designing a, a country for professional rugby now, the Irish model with four provinces, you know, decent numbers of supporters. Uh, well-funded, you know, players want to play for their province of birth, um, you know, good coaching staff, good S&C, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, a union doesn't have a huge amount of debt, debt, which we don't. Obviously, we're burning a bit of cash at the moment, but, you know, we we had a, you know, we're not in huge debt. There's money to go into the game. The RFU have put a huge amount of money into the game. Um, 
the players coming out of school. Like I, I'm coaching Newbridge College. There's four or five lads in Newbridge College who, if they're in France, will be going straight into the FCG Academy. If they're in Wales, they'll be playing for the Dragons next year as 18-year-olds. Like there's there's quality players coming through here. Rugby's never been as popular. It's reached areas of the country that was never in before. So you're getting better athletes. You know, look at Tom Ahern, West Cork. You know, for example, um, like we shouldn't we, like I'm not saying we should be overly ambitious, but we should understand that we've done a huge amount of things right. And just because the national team at the moment, and I agree with you, it is five cycles since they've been on top. Uh, on top, but I'd rather look at. I think we should be looking at why we have why we slip back um, in terms of the national team performance because. The four provinces are dominant against the Scots and the Welsh and the Italians at the moment in our domestic league. You know, they're better funded, they're, they're you know, and there's better players. There's we've got more depth than they do. So it's natural to expect the transfer to the to the national side. And the years you get England and France at home, you should have a cracking chance of winning the championship. That's my argument. Yeah, but to be honest, Bernard, that points towards coaching personnel at at national level and really little else. Like I know we don't like it's um reticent to like scapegoat individual coaches the same way i wouldn't scapegoat individual players necessarily but when you have uh provincial setups that are dominant at domestic level against vaguely the same like clubs from vaguely the same countries as the six nations and even at european level they fare well against french and english opposition generally speaking at at the very least they hold their own and yet the national team a kind of conglomerate of players picked from those provinces who do well against these teams can't do the same against their contemporaries international level that really does point towards uh I, I guess um, faults in the coaching for want of a better expression like the, there's a question here and by the way I also have sympathy for Andy Farrell and a lot of his staff in the sense that most of them who have been hired are relatively new to coaching at their respective levels and for a lot of them it should be a case of them having to learn on the job in all reality like they need to sort of uh get probably a couple of years and get better at what they're doing but the problem is they work for a union that doesn't afford them that luxury in the sense that they need to finish as high up in their various tournaments as they can because of uh the prize money and there's a question here from kieran parker for example who's a 42 member and he says it appears confusing and worrying that simon easterby was holding down two jobs up until the recruitment of paul o'connell so have we been without a dedicated defensive coach up until now? And what experience has Easterby at test level? Uh, and he also asks, like, is this all down to finances, which he says would be understandable to to a degree? If so, I might put that one to yourself, Murray, just in terms of like the personnel that were recruited to replace Schmidt. There is a level of inexperience there nearly across the board. And do you think that comes down to penny pinching a little bit? Well, I mean, Mike Hatt's very experienced coach. Um, he's done England, he's done Italy. Uh, he's certainly no rookie on the job. Um, and I think it's right that the RFU would expect better results probably than they're getting there. Simon Easterby has been in that environment for a long time. I know obviously it's a, a different role in terms of doing the defence, but he's certainly no rookie either. Um, yeah, John Fogarty's obviously taken a step up for it, but the scrum's going well. So uh, Paul O'Connell's obviously literally a couple of weeks into it. Um, but the early signs are decent, albeit... They have still lost a couple of key lineouts, and they're giving away a couple of penalties there. It's not been been perfect. Um, and then Richie Murphy obviously has been a part of the setup for for an extended period as well around the kicking and the skills. So um, those assistant coaches don't lack in experience. Obviously, Andy Farrell hadn't been a head coach before, so that was a big leap of faith for them to to take. And he's 
certainly learning things as he as he goes uh, and learning some tough lessons as he goes i would imagine um so yeah there's there's that side of it the the fact that simon easterby was doing forwards and defense was a big ask and you'd almost ask why is Andy farrell doing the defense i know he wants to be over the the top of everything and maybe detached from that but joe schmidt did the attack for the entire period he was in charge uh, that was his baby i know he kind of ran everything else as well um and had input on that but uh, you know andy farrell's a, a defense coach first and foremost that's where he made his name um and i i don't I, I just i don't think it would be a massive leap for him to have to 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 do that i know he obviously has input in it um but yeah that structuring of it as well again is it's probably one for news four again the the way they decided on it settled on it didn't they it, it felt like it was probably lacking something and and paul o'connell coming in is is certainly a, a an acknowledgement of that um and hopefully that balance now gets better that simon easterby as this championship progresses gets a little bit more of a stamp over it um and that paul o'connell obviously drives on the line out to to another level it definitely feels like a bit more balanced now but for them to not have that from the start is a little bit um damning i suppose you, again you look at france and, and how they've put together their coaching staff with a, a fair amount of resource to be fair behind it um but really ticking every box and, and having galtier input over over everything on, on the top of that so that was one area that they probably didn't get right straight up even the fact that i suppose mick carney came back has come back into the mix as a a mentor figure and and they had hadn't had a team manager at the start of it they decided not to do that which again was surprising um and again they've kind of moved to acknowledge that so probably mistakes made in that regard on on top of the rest i don't think it was on doing money yet because they put together this staff pre-covid um when every we actually have done the opposite when everyone else is trying to cut back we've added paul mick carney gary keegan you know so we've thrown more resource at it so i think there are a few certainly have given Nusifora the the budget to do best by the team sticking with the defense murray can i get your take on it just based on what you've seen in those opening two fixtures of the six nations so far because we saw under farrell when he was in charge of defense probably a bit more uh line speed it felt like a bit more of an aggressive sort of front up style defense if not quite like of the sean edwards ilk now it feels more like an nfl style bend don't break defense but the problem is it's bending and then it's breaking as well like at key junctures like we're not making really the defensive stands that you would expect and to be fair sometimes it's down to just a couple of errors at the edges but it does feel as though this is actually a prevailing theme for us that when teams do get out wide we're liable to slip up and they're liable to get in under the sticks like Ireland are doing plenty of good stuff in defense there's loads of good bits in there amongst the the slips i suppose um so it's it's not all completely negative but you're right there are slips often the stuff that happens out wide is as a direct result of what goes on around the rock and I, like you look back at every like jacob socktail before james o was the one we always ended up discussing and people pointed the finger at but so often there was a shortcoming further in closer to rock even someone making a bad decision on whether to fold or hold around the rock and having an extra body on the right side of the pitch against the the attack numbers against numbers i suppose the most simple form of it and then the winger is the one left in a really tough exposed position in andy farrell's system at the same time the wingers were asked to 
make really accurate decisions and I know it was it was really tough for even the more experienced guys to always have a good grasp on that they had to read a lot of body language on on the opposition kickers as well and and back and get back to to cover backfield space as well um, and yeah there's a little bit of, of detail lacking in that at the moment definitely if they want to be one of the best teams in the world again that's going to have to improve last weekend they were against a really good attacking French team and there's always the other side of the coin the the French attack I mean Birch flagged it with Galtier's attention to detail it was a couple of set piece strikes really from them that was that were the difference in the game and they picked out Billy Burns and got to him brilliantly on a couple of those occasions um, and that aside they relied heavily on their really mature kicking game which wasn't really contestable at all it was about backfield space that they managed to find and again that's an, an Irish defensive issue and um, James Lowe s- said it after the match that they left too much of that grass for France to go after and if you think about the exchange of kicks just before the French try in the first half it's as a result of that they find loads of grass back behind Ireland and, and Lowe kind of hammers one into touch and not his, his best kick of the game and France strike off that so they didn't actually have to rely on on crazy attacking from deep the French but they nailed it when they had a chance uh, which we can't say about, about Ireland um, like the, the defensive slips are concerning and if it becomes more apparent then you're you're thinking that um, it's a it's a massive issue for the team but at the same time there were some decent defensive stands in there they're making turnovers as I mentioned Ian Henderson's been prolific in that Tigburn in that regard there's still some quality in there and there's still guys delivering massive work rate uh, and massive intent but it's about having it in a more nailed on detailed uh, and clear way at all times one question on the attack here Bernard from John and he was wondering uh, well he says it might be an oversimplification of a complex issue but is there a problem with Ireland's general pace of play our dummy runners support runners and defenders wrapping around often seem to be cantering rather than running very hard to get to the right place I wonder with that is that does that again come back to detail and just a level of uncertainty or a lack of clarity in what they're trying to do yeah, it definitely seems as if we're, we're over, I think we're actually overrunning a lot, particularly our forwards are running those those hard lines, which, you know, if they do it properly and stay in option to the very last second, you know, the hole might open up for them or it sits down the defender to give the guy out the back a little chance. And yeah, it, we're really sloppy on, on, on those and, and guys who, who run them well for the provinces and, sh- you know, uh, aren't doing it at the level that you would expect. And uh um it's it's a big area of concern. I think it's easy then for teams to come and shut us down because as I said, if the if the guy run the hard line is is not a viable option, well then you know you can just ignore him and uh it'll get you you'll be able to shut it down. And just just go back to the defense for a second. You know, I know we haven't been hurt a lot, but both games we've dominated possession. So, you know, we've dominated possession against Wales, dominated possession against France. Um so hence there hasn't been as many opportunities like the real test for i think if we end up with 40 percent possession unless we fix areas of our defense we we could end up getting a, a tonkin well like that's a that's a fairly key point and again it's sort of like when you remove yourself from the the intricate individual aspects of the game like when you look at a team who has the majority of possession and does little with it and whose opponents have the minority of possession and punish them fairly consistently that's the sign of a fundamentally flawed team on both sides of the ball as we talked about at the very start of the show yeah and it goes back to 
kind of our, you know, do you remember Ireland, France and Paris um, in, in, uh, in the Autumn Nations Cup? Um, you know, we had quite a few, like what we call A-zone entries. So we're actually in their 22 a lot. Um, but yet I felt, you know, France were by far the better side and they scored some some really good tries, but pretty poor defence from us. And after the game, the narrative was we should have won the game because we're in there 22 a lot. But that, that's that's irrelevant. It's it's actually irrelevant now if you've no firepower and you don't turn it into points. So um, so France didn't care about being in our 22 very often or for long periods because they were scoring from, from 30, 40, 50 yards out. Uh, so again, it's just understanding, you know, what are we chasing in games? Uh, so if we are going to be a team who just sets our our, our 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 game plan around getting into their twenty-two, well then we got to come up with ways of turning that into points. Um, and again, you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure just how joined up everything is. And like, I agree with I agree with Murray that we have given away a couple of penalties on defensive lineups, but you can see why we're giving them ways because Paul has given them a license to close the gap to to get pressure on the catcher in the air. And, and I think Ty Byrne has given away two, um, you know, where he's just overdone a little bit. And that's going to be, Paul will be very smart now and, and go, look at, you know, Italy are going to send clips of that to the to the referee. We're going to have to be careful. Teams have spotted that about us now and, we, and we'll have to back off a little bit. But at least, at least there was intent there. At least there was a plan and, and it won us some, some good ball and disrupted other balls. So that's just a challenge for defence and attack. Like, I don't really, like, I understand when things will break, particularly defence, it's actually a sign of like France made a mistake for that, for that um, James Lowe opportunity. You know they they made a mistake in the middle. They were down a man, but their scramble defense was was phenomenal. You know what I mean? And and that happens in defense. Um, things will go wrong. It's 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 how often they go wrong, and then how drastic it is. When we make a mistake at the moment, um, it's generally leading to a try, and that's with as I said, dominating possession for two games. Just on the strategy thing I suppose Gav the, the stats for the 22 entries aren't great for the last couple of weeks just looking at them there Ireland have the only Italy have fewer points per 22 entry and Ireland have the fewest 22 entries of any of the teams as well so they're not actually getting into a place where as we saw before the tournament they're extremely reliant 84% of their tries last year were from set piece platforms inside the opposition 22 so essentially they're not very good at scoring tries other than those positions and so far in this championship they actually haven't managed to get many of those positions we've seen them get stuck in that middle third of the pitch very often it's a really easy image isn't it Ireland in the middle of the pitch kind of going forwards and back across the pitch not really making any progress and they haven't been good at making those progressions up the pitch they obviously tried to kick contestably against France but there were a few successes, definitely, um, and they got a couple of opportunities at the back of that, but overall it didn't really get them into those positions, where, as we mentioned before, that French example of the kick exchange, it got them a really good platform. Um, so Ireland haven't been clinical when they've been in there, but they actually haven't managed to manufacture those kind of opportunities for themselves, and they've got to be better at, I suppose, progressing from that middle third. Some of that is decision-making of when to actually run and pass and and attack the space on the edge and other times it's it's being better with their kicking game more intelligent at picking out space and pressuring the opposition so there's there's a challenge there strategically and just just another thing to say and a question mark around faz because he's obviously picking the team is selection um there's probably just been a few probably question marks around some of the selections so we picked gibson park who's a tempo player with billy burns who's a running 10 
and we 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 went with a kicking strategy you know um so there wasn't really alignment there like you you would say if you're going to kick the ball a lot um look it's obviously difficult with, with murray being injured but ross Byrne would have been better suited we went into the game without a, a, a goal kicker which is a big ask you know to be frank without a goal kicker i know billy went off early but if we had had a couple of kicks late in the game um you know he's not kicking for his province that's a question mark gibson park played eight minutes against wales and he plays 82 minutes against france you know um you know why wasn't craig casey brought on if he was fit if he was if, if he was good enough to give us ten in the last 20 minutes um finney bealham was moved across the loose head now he's out of the squad it's just like there's just certain things you have to say you know probably in hindsight haven't worked out as well as as obviously Andy would like when he makes those decisions. But again, as pundits, you have to kind of flag them and go, it's not really clear what the strategy was there. You know, Peter Manny playing seven. Peter Manny playing seven with Doris is fit, but then he's not the seven. It's just little things like that that you have to kind of question. Just on the Ross, on the Ross Byrne thing, like the stats and that are really revealing. He came on and he's, I suppose, a kicking out half. And he kicked the ball once. And that was a clearing touch when Ireland were again chasing back to, to cover a, a kick that found grass he, he kicked one into touch on the right in phase play he didn't kick at all when Billy Burns was on the pitch he kicked six times and, and as we saw in the first minute of the game when they got a lovely turnover ball off a line out he had clearly been primed to to kick the ball so even even at that when Burns sent on um, he's probably trying to be a player that he's not quite comfortable in being um, and I know Farrell was frustrated about that but I suppose you've got to be clear with players about what you want to see from them well, while we're on the topic of halfbacks and it was always going to come up, wasn't it? Let's start looking ahead tentatively towards that Italy game. There were a few questions about this in the WhatsApp group. I think we can kind of answer them all nearly in one go. Mick, just straight off the bat, wanted you guys to name your preferred starting 15s against Italy, which we'll do in a moment. And then Oshin Dillon, who is new in the group, was saying, it looks like Farrell is going to pick Murray and Sexton at 9-10. In the eyes of the lads, is this a reasonable move to steady the ship or is it a missed opportunity and a selection made out of fear? So, Bernard, I'll start with yourself as Murray has kind of uh, alluded to this uh, in the Monday pod with Owen that he expects Murray and Sexton to start. You might have changed your mind since then, Murray, and would bring in in a second, but how do you anticipate Farrell will go for this Italy game? And if you are to start the tried and tested halfbacks, is it a good decision or is it a decision that reeks of fear, as Oshin suggests? Yeah, I think it'll be, I think they will start. Um, and I think there is pressure on. And, and, and I think the reference, the, the reason that the, they'll, be, they'll have fear is because of how badly Georgia went. And don't underestimate the. The negative effect, Georgia, you know, becoming a bit of a dogfight and it's not really fire uh, firing, probably still has on the team in terms of a knock to confidence. Um, and I don't think he can like look, looking ahead to, you know, going to Scotland and playing England at home. If we go to Italy and we get involved in a real tough, you know, um, battle and we don't really fire and, we, and our attack isn't isn't dominant or or we don't get belief out of it, then it's going to be really hard to pick things up for Scotland and. And um, and England. So normally I'd say, yeah, you know, Italy should have been the game where we 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 made changes. But I think the fact that um, you know Johnny Johnny hasn't played, won't have played for three weeks. Um, Billy didn't really perform that well. Yeah, I don't. I actually don't have a problem with it. I, I think Faz now needs to get a really good win, uh, get some belief, and then hopefully that'll that'll slingshot us into going to Murrayfield 
with some confidence and, and getting a win there. And then obviously coming down to England the last game and, and, and getting someone out of the Six Nations. I think, you know, blooding a few players in Italy and having a, a risk of a of a poor performance or a, not a fluid performance could could backfire massively. It's funny, Murray, isn't it? Like at the start of the tournament, we earmarked as everyone else did in fairness like Rome being the weekend in which you might see the likes of Craig Casey or Harry Byrne uh, make their international debuts might be the case that, that Casey does come on let's say um, we, we don't know it, it might it's probably more likely actually that Gibson Park could be a replacement for Murray uh, and it kind of again it's where I'd have sympathy for Farrell he needs a result here and we've spent the last two three weeks talking about succession plans we've probably spent the last six to eight months talking about succession plans as well in a kind of a broader context and here's an optimal opportunity for him to put into place some element of a succession plan or at least test some of the guys that might succeed uh, our established halfbacks and yet he actually doesn't like he can't afford to do so or at least to his mind he can't afford to do so because it's not a game that we can take for granted, I don't think, at the moment. Despite the fact that they've been well beaten by France and England, uh, Italy have shown enough in attack to suggest they can pose problems, and we haven't actually shown enough attack in attack ourselves to suggest that we're just going to steamroll them uh, the way we typically do. Yeah, and and I, I would imagine that he sees some of that stuff as maybe unnecessary risks, and Birch's point about the Scotland and England games are most valid. Obviously, it's an absolute disaster for Ireland lose to Italy for, what, the second time in 29 games. But as important as this game are the ones that are going to follow the next two weeks. So when he's picking his team for Scotland game away in Murrayfield, let's be honest, it's going to be Conor Murray and, and, and Johnny Sexton probably as his first choice halfbacks. That's what we've seen so far. Murray would have played against France, but for that injury. Um, and Johnny Sexton is the Ireland captain, so he's going to be starting that game. So yeah, he needs to get a bit of momentum and confidence and flow um, and belief back into the players. And, and he probably will now see this Italy game as an opportunity to do that. You would hope that he still has some scope for maybe mixing things up slightly or maybe Ronan Kelleher getting a start, for example. And definitely, I would imagine, at least a, a debut off the bench. That would be a real missed opportunity if they don't use use it as that exactly and give a, a little bit of exposure but it certainly has changed completely as you say the, the picture of this game and the I suppose the context of it he needs a strong performance and a big win and a bit of belief back in the group for what's to follow because even if he beats Italy well and loses the next two games Ireland are looking at a championship um, that just really probably isn't acceptable to the RFU as we've discussed with, with their goals and then the pressure is just going to be so intense on him after a championship like that. So he's definitely going to look at this game as as important for what follows, as well as probably having a bit of respect for Italy, as you say, um, and not taking things for granted, which probably a lot of us do in terms of these games, just because if the, the results have been so good. On the converse side of that, Bernard, Italy are blooding young players, probably from the perspective of feeling as though they don't have a choice but to do so. And they're realistic enough uh, to realize they're probably not going to win games in the six nations at the moment despite their best efforts so why not play guys who are 19 and 20 and okay the results have been pretty poor they have played probably the best two teams in the tournament so far to be fair uh, but some of those young guys are going along pretty nicely there was a lovely try in twickenham uh in the corner left hand corner uh where you tweeted at the clip murray i think or put it on instagram and it was a succession of young guys that put that move together so uh when we're speaking about green shoots in relation to ireland as we so often do are there actual green shoots on the italian side now or is it a little bit of a um 
I don't know, a false dawn again for them. No, I, I actually think there is green shoots. I think their attack has improved drastically uh, since Franco um, since Franco Smith came back. Uh, he's he's actually one of the best attack coaches in the world. Uh, I know I said it about Galti last week, but um, when Franco coached Benetton, they, they were probably one of the most creative attacks. Now, he didn't have the cattle to to do any damage uh like in terms of winning a lot of games but certainly from a tack point of view they were very well coached and uh they they, they haven't made improvements there the defense is is very ropey um and that's certainly you know that's something certainly an area that they'll uh they need to look at but having said that they've played the two best teams you know so far uh first up so um yeah they, they can challenge they'll ask questions of us for sure defensively he'd be he'd be getting stuck into some some power plays and, and trying to find weakness in the Irish D. So that'll be good. But look, we we should be able to um, deal with them. They are they are mentally fragile. And I think in terms of Italy, I read Bergamasco, the former, you know, uh, Centurion back row, come out and said that the next step for Italy is actually to start sending players to play in Europe again. Um, that it's actually not helping their player pool having everybody back. Sorry, they're all not back, but the majority of their players are now playing neither Zebra or or Benetton, and unfortunately, you know, they're losing most weeks in the Pro 14, um, and it's not good. They're going to Italian camp with um, a lack of confidence, and also there's no real cross-pollinization of ideas. You know, you know, historically, when Italy were, were good, well, so when they were more competitive back, whatever, 12 years ago, there was guys coming back from Stade Francais and other clubs, you know, Leicester, etc. and it just, I think, it added to that whole, it added to their player pool, but also added to that, potential sense of belief because they're used to playing in leagues where they're winning games. So maybe a little bit of that with obviously some of these young players, you know, uh, coming through, uh, could, could start to see them become more competitive. It's, it'll be long, they're a long way away from beating a Wales, Scotland or Ireland, I think, um, I hope, um, but they are at least playing a little bit better and trying to, trying to improve. As we near getting your selections, Murray, there was one last question here from our good friend Jangles in the WhatsApp group. Uh, and this pertains to your preferred selections or at least future selections for Ireland. He says, given the performances of Byrne and Henderson over the last two games, when James Ryan re- returns, it's going to be difficult to bench one of the three. Are we potentially looking at Byrne or Henderson maybe moving to six, which does also give us another line-out option, particularly in the absence of Peter Romano, you'd think there. Uh, or do you think they'll stick with Ruddock at six? It's kind of an interesting dilemma. It's a good dilemma for Har- Farrell to have, in fairness. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I thought this might be the case um, for, for even for the French game. Um before James Ryan was ruled out that Byrne could play at six there and I think for this Italy game he'd be brilliant at six I think with his ability to turn over and create those um, opportunities against as Byrne says a defence that's still organising itself it definitely makes sense to me as Bernard did a, a great video of Ruddock's kind of set piece work in the line out thought it was excellent and obviously he's an abrasive ball carrier um, and without Peter Romani against Scotland I think again he's he's suited to that but I'd love to see a selection that suits this game and suits Ireland playing, I suppose, that style that they've talked about getting towards and playing at tempo and and creating turnover opportunities and being a bit more ambitious with those rather than kicking the ball downfield. So, yeah, Burn at six gives you that. And he's been in really good form. Um, He's given away a lot of penalties. I think a couple of those have been really unfortunate, including that tackle zone one and... um, there was a mall one where I don't think it's just on him, to be honest. Uh, so he's been unfortunate in that sense, but he's adding a lot around the pitch. And I think, again, his handling is really suited to what Ireland are 
it seems kind of trying to to get towards so him at six would be really exciting and and I'd, I'd actually like to see it for this game do you want to kick us off murray with your selection in the forwards we'll break it down that way because you had a great piece obviously in ireland's front row recently so there's an added intrigue to your selection here i think i'd give furlong a start at tight head i think he's looked sharp and he's obviously a key guy i give ronan keller an opportunity he's been good off the bench possibly a little bit less pressure around the set piece in, in this game um and then just with the the porter thing obviously which i wrote about yesterday i'm not sure how much he's trained there so i don't know if it's a an opportunity for for this game but i do think it's worth having someone a look at someone else and, and resting up keen healy maybe for a week i don't know what Kilcoin's injury situation is but I'd like to see his ball carrying if if available at, at loose head. In the second row, um, I think Henderson and Ryan all going well with the head injury will, will start, and I think it makes sense. They have like they're not old guys. It's a it's a second row pairing that's been first choice when available, um, and is quite balanced. I think I think Henderson looks like he's got a renewed energy towards Ireland and being a leader, which is great to see. Uh, but I'd love to see Ryan Baird come off the bench and make a debut. As I said, athletically, he's superb. Burn six. I think Will Connors at seven deserves an opportunity. And you'd probably have Stander then uh, at number eight with a, with a bit of experience in that back row. Gavin Coombs, potentially a guy who could maybe feature off the bench. I, I, you'd like to see that. I don't think that that's what the pack is going to look like. But as I said, in terms of how you'd like to see Ireland play this game and also maybe a hint towards what they're trying to get at, that would be a, a really exciting pack. Bernard, what way did you look at it? Yeah, I went Kilcoin, Keller, Furlong. Uh, it's actually the same. Ryan Henderson, Byrne, Will Connors and, and CJ. And how different do you think it will look, Bernard, in reality? Um, I know, I think Kilcoin, I think Keller will definitely start a hooker. I think Furlong will start a tight head. Um, you know, I'm not sure what, what the story with Kilcoin was. I, I, I was under the impression he was actually going to be fit for the game against France um, but missed out but I would I, you know I, w- I would have Healy on the bench I'd rest him I'd rest Porter on the bench I'd have Herring on the bench um, yeah I can't see there's no risk for me playing Kilcoyne, Keller, Furlong, Ryan, Henderson, Byrne, Will Connors and CJ I mean it's very strong um, and you know uh, yeah I think for us to be able like if you're going to go to, to if you're going to play England or Scotland you'd want to have Kilcoyne haven't had game time, you know, he, he's, when he's fit, he's very impressive. So, um, you know, I think that's, and I, you know, Murray's point about Porter. Yeah. I think, I think at some stage they will look to move him back. Um, but I think it'll just be, it won't be mid this tournament. Um, uh, but it'll be when Furlong gets up and running and obviously we've got a fast track, the likes of Tom O'Toole's development to, to have a power athlete on the bench behind Furlong, which would allow Porter to potentially be, be there as, as a loose head, you know, do you want to fly us through your backs, Bert? Yeah, uh, I went uh, Murray, Sexton, uh, low. I put Aki in there. Um, just again, I don't think it's a huge drop-off between him and Robbie. And us, Robbie's been playing well, but just to to give... You, know, you want to have the guys who are test level um, get get a chance in this tournament. Um, Gary, I think it's important Gary plays because um, I think we need to play him into a little bit of form. We need to get him comfortable being a playmaker. Um and then Earls and, and, and Keenan. Um, I think, again, Earls, he's not playing brilliantly, but I think he's going to be important for us later on the championship and maybe get him some good ball and let him get some confidence. At, at the moment, our wings are, they're not getting anything great to play, play off, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, it's a boring enough 
traditional type team, but I think that's what will happen. And I think it's the right call for for where we're at. Murray, you're back. Yeah, if I was picking something different, I'd I'd love to see Shane Daly get an opportunity. Um, he hasn't he hasn't featured at all. Uh, got a cap obviously against Georgia. I think he's a really good player with a a lot of potential still left in him. I think he's 24 now. But uh, I, I'd like to actually see him at fullback. I know Keenan's still developing there. I think Larmer on the wing, just to get him back and into the team again, when you're looking at that style of play on the right, low on the left, he's got to keep learning at that level, definitely. And I keep Ringrose and Henshaw together. I think it's a, a really good partnership. Henshaw's been in good form. Um, and as Bernard mentioned about Ringrose, the halfbacks are, are the really interesting ones. And it, it just, to me, in my mind, no, no pressure on me. I, I'd love to see a bit of development here. And a bit of a nod to the future. Johnny Sexton and Conor Murray are going to start the last two games of the championship. I think it's a good chance to give Harry Byrne, who he clearly seems to feel is his long-term option at, at out half. Why why not give him a debut here? Uh, maybe pair him with Murray in the halfback so there's experience there beside him. He's obviously playing for Leinster this weekend and Ross Byrne is at 12, which is interesting. And hopefully that's an indication that they're they're keen to have another look at him before potentially featuring. Um, and then if it's not in the first team, giving Casey a bit of exposure off the bench would be really positive after probably a frustrating experience last weekend not getting off the bench and again a guy who Farrell clearly believes has has potential as well as the skill set to play a style of rugby that um, would be exciting and effective I think with, with real tempo in it so it feels like an opportunity even if it's not in the starting team for those two young guys to get experience of it and, and just get a a chance because the Scotland England games aren't going to be about that. It's going to be about saving uh, the championship in any way they can. Yeah, I would. Sorry, just my my team was very conservative, but I would agree. I would put Casey, Harry Byrne, uh, Ryan Baird on on the bench for sure. Lovely, Bernard. Thanks a million as always. Thanks, guys, and thank you, Murray, as well. Cheers, Gav. We'll leave it there. I think we've racked up a record running time. <laughs> That's just take out my monologue at the start, and we'll be back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> I know there was a suggestion from a listener, Murray, to do a kind of a depth chart, but you guys might look at that in written form sometime soon. Uh, it probably works better graphically than it would in audio form. And are you back on Monday, Murray, with Owen, or have you got a week off for yourselves planned? Yeah, we're going to have a bit of a chat, obviously, for um, provincial games back this weekend, and there's going to be a couple of guys with international ambitions there, so we'll, we'll look at a bit of that, as well as teeing up what is now a big week for Irish rugby heading to Rome class looking forward to it they'll be back for the 42 members on monday members start the 42.e if you want to join us there and get all of those extra podcasts and that extra content uh, this podcast was brought to you in association with william hill remember to gamble responsibly and visit donlouis.net on how to do so have a great weekend enjoy the provincial rugby and chat to you on monday or indeed thursday for non-members until then mind yourselves take it easy i don't think we've met before but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could offer me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> it is coming on! Robbie, Robbie, weekly. Little reverse pass. Oh!